Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, as we just sang the greatness of who you are, I caught a glimpse of how wonderful and magnificent and holy you are. And then I caught a glimpse of how how far I fall short of your perfection. It is intimidating to stand before people and proclaim the good news of Christ, knowing that I too have failed. And in this moment, I would plead guilty, but instead, I plead the blood of Jesus. And instead of standing guilty and condemned as a fallen human being, today I will stand before these people and proclaim the power of your gospel. And we will see that our souls crave you. We were made to have community and relationship with you. And the only way we can be right with you is through the grace of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with great pleasure, we enter into this time of worship. Holy Spirit, speak through your word. Set the captives free. And claim souls for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated for tonight's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit, in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Life is complicated. In one moment, we can find ourselves delighting with joy, ecstatic. And in the next moment, we can find ourselves in despair, depressed, overwhelmed by our emotions, even to the point of a meltdown. Life is a roller coaster of emotions. Earlier in the week, it was settled that tonight's big idea, the message would be titled, Christians Can Always Be Thankful. And I was excited about this message because I saw the reasons why we can always be thankful, and I was excited to come and to share this with all of you tonight. Then later in the week, 
I was challenged to actually believe this because circumstances happened in my life and my heart was anything and everything but thankful. Maybe you've been there yourself. Things seem to snowball and lead you down a road of self-focus and anxiety. Maybe you set aside a day to complete your project and everything but your project seems to be on your agenda for the day. So you're frustrated because what you planned to do wasn't accomplished. Maybe you're all set for the big interview and you're up early for the train, but the train is not running on your schedule and you're late. And so you miss your appointment and anxiety stresses you out. Or maybe you finally see how you're going to get out of credit card debt. And then it's spring shopping time for your four kids. And you have to buy them all new wardrobe. That may or may not have happened to me. How do we become thankful during these stressful times? How many of you have complained about something that was unfair, something that happened to you, and a parent or someone else told you something like this in response to your complaint? Well, at least you don't have cancer. Well, I know it's not your favorite meal, but think about those in the world who have nothing to eat today. Well, it could be worse. You know, you could be alone in the streets with nowhere to go. Those are all true. And in the right setting, they can help us have a better perspective on what we're going through. And it might bring relief to us as that new perspective allows us to see, you know what, I am making too big of a deal about this. There are definitely people who are worse off than I am. But I have a question. Does that really heal my heart? Somewhere in the world, there is someone that must have the worst possible life ever. Statistically, it's got to be true. Somebody's got to be worse off than anyone else of the seven billion on this planet. Terrible things are happening to them in this moment. Maybe terrible things are happening to you right now. For that person who does have cancer, for that person who is starving and has nothing to eat, for that person who is cold in the streets with nowhere to go, how can I possibly suggest that if they are a Christian, they can always be thankful? In their case, a better perspective does absolutely nothing for them because they are in the worst possible scenario for their life. Tonight, we're going to see three ways that every Christian, anywhere, can always be thankful to God for. And we'll start with the first one. The first reason we can always be thankful, or why we know we can always be thankful, is this, that Jesus 
is Lord. We have to start here. The name Lord is often read, and we sang it several times tonight in the songs already, but it's often read by us in our American culture without fully appreciating the power behind this name, this title of Jesus. In our country today, we don't view the president or any other government leader as Lord, our full authority. In Paul's day and culture, Caesar was viewed as Lord. What he said was the way it was. He was the Lord. In fact, he even issued laws for himself to be worshipped. He was the authority. So what he said had to be followed or there were severe consequences for rebellion. In our country, if we don't like our president, we vote against him. And hopefully, if we don't like him, there's enough that can vote him out. And we try to find someone that we like. So it's easy for us to dismiss this word and not understand what is being said of him. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is writing this letter and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. That word always is there to signify that we are always thinking. This is our position. We are thanking God at all times. There's a continual thanksgiving. And then he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many times we see that and say, oh yeah, that's just a way to ascribe honor to Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. But it's deeper than that. The definition of Lord is He to whom a person or thing belongs. So if we say Lord Jesus, we are telling Him, I belong to you. And we're saying Lord also means He has the power of deciding. He is the master. He is the Lord. And so we're also saying, you are my master. You have power, authority over me. Lord. He's the owner, the one who has control of the person. That one's hard for us to understand. There's one thing I struggle with more than others. I think it would be control. I don't like other people to have control over me or power over me. There's resistance. But when I call Jesus Lord, I am telling him that he does have control over me. In our state government, uh, especially at this, the past time when Paul wrote this, it is the sovereign or the prince, or the chief, or the Roman emperor. But as Paul uses it here, it's much higher, and he is using it as a title given to God the title given to the Messiah. So for the person who wrote this, Paul, to say our Lord Jesus Christ is huge. And here's why. It's not just an honorable phrase that he's using, but he is emphatically stating this. His view of Jesus has been transformed from his years prior because of a an experience that he had on the road to Damascus. He was going somewhere, and Jesus met him, and Jesus revealed himself to him, so much so that Paul was blinded, or his actual name was Saul at the time. He was blinded by the glory of Christ. 
And he found out that the God he was worshiping vindicated the person whom he was trying to kill. Jesus had already died and risen again, but there was a movement among his followers, and he was trying to kill that movement. And Jesus met him on that road, and Paul's life was changed forever, so much that he stopped being called Saul, as I mentioned, and now we know him as the Apostle Paul. So instead of seeing Jesus as a phony or a fake and trying to stamp out this movement, he's yielding himself and submitting himself to this former phony and calling him Lord, Master, my Sovereign. You have control over me. So we can always be thankful that Jesus is the Master, that He is Lord. Ultimately, He will be shown to the world as the true King of all. At His return, He will be ushered in and we will celebrate Him. And there will be no resistance that can withstand His glory. We will see His Lordship and He will crush evil and He will defeat death once and for all for all of us. And I look more forward to that day today than I ever have in my life. Our world today is filled with people who claim to be lords and judges. We see this world is ruled temporarily by people with limited power whose power will fade out as their lives surely fade out. Many of our leaders are self-serving and concerned only with their own welfare. But we can be thankful that the true Lord, Jesus, is not like them. But He is good. He is gracious. He is self-sacrificing, not self-serving. He is just. He will not lead us astray and break any promise He's ever made to us. Interestingly, Paul was in prison at the time he wrote this letter to the Colossian church. One of the reasons he was arrested was his belief and his preaching, his assertion, his claim that Jesus was, in fact, Lord and not Caesar. This declaration was a threat to the government's power. And this declaration is still a threat to our world today. North Korea, Iran, Afghanistan... Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Maldives, Yemen, Iraq, Uzbekistan, Laos, are possibly, according to my brief online study, possibly the absolute worst countries in the world to be a professing Christian. Possibly the worst countries in the world to be a Christian who is especially trying to spread the word that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. Jesus is a threat to powers of this world. And this threat is exactly what imprisoned Paul and ultimately cost him his life. This threat, this gospel, this declaration that Jesus is Lord is also what imprisons Christians today and causes them to face death 
at their declaration that Jesus is Lord. Christians die all the time today around the world for their faith in Christ. But Paul showed us something. And most of the apostles showed us the same thing. They had seen the risen Christ. And they showed us that they believed at the expense of their life that Jesus was Lord. And no matter what happened in their lives, as a Christian, they could be thankful. And so we can also be thankful in the first way because we know that Jesus is Lord. The second reason why we can be thankful at all times is this. Hope is certain. It's very easy to, uh, to lose hope today. Cancer seems to affect every family I know, including my own. The prices of groceries and rent and whatever else, it just keeps rising and rising. And talking with many people outside the church, I've heard of many struggles that are within marriages and within the church. Struggles with children. Struggles with other relationships. The reason it's easy to lose hope today is because too often what we're placing our hope in is the wrong person. Or what we're placing our hope in is the wrong circumstance. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So he says, I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And we'll stop right there. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see, faith, love, and hope are three things that are a recurring theme for Paul in this letter, but not just in this letter. It's also within his theology as a whole. It makes it its appearance in 1 Corinthians and also in 1 Thessalonians, two other letters of our New Testament. These three fit together and are reasons why Paul is thanking God. They are signs, faith, hope, and love. They are, they are signs that new life is in the people Paul is writing to. I see these things in you, and I am thankful to God for them because the only reason these would exist would be if God were at work among you. And I see peace from God. The word faith here, faith gets used a lot in our culture. And it is not just faith in general. When Paul uses the word faith here, it is specific. It's not just faith in any religious belief or whatever might work for you. What he is saying is specifically referring to a distinct faith in Christ as Messiah. Christ as Savior, Christ as, number one said, Lord. It's a personal belief. It's a commitment to Him. It's a belief not only personally and a commitment to Christ personally, but it's also a belief that certain things are true. One of those, out of many, would be that as a Christian, having faith in Christ would mean that you believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. That is an essential of Christianity. So Paul, because of this faith in Christ, is thanking God for them. Then he says love. And love here is not restricted to those with whom you have natural affinities. 
It's easy to love certain people. And it's harder to love some people. It's easier to love people who are very much like you. And it's harder to love people that are very different from you. Paul is saying, the type of love I am seeing with you is not this natural kind of love that is common among humanity, but you're breaking down barriers. And instead of just loving and grouping together with people that would join your country club, so to speak, you're branching out and you're loving the people who would, you would naturally find difficult to love. And this is a sign of God's love and presence because God's love does not discriminate against anyone, but His love is for all humans. He says this love that you have goes for all the saints, not just those of your certain group. And for this love, I thank God because I see His love among you. And then he gets to hope. And the reason, the second reason for us to always be thankful is that our hope is certain. Is, is This is why it's built on. Because he says, because of this hope. I see this faith and this love because of this hope that is stored up for you in heaven. He said, guys, there is this hope that is driving you. It's spurring you. You are going out there and you are showing your faith in God by the way you love one another. So these solid facts about the future hope of Christians are powerful motivation for us. And it's a reason for us to constantly be putting our faith in Christ and at a cost, loving one another. It's not clear according to this one letter, if Paul is talking about one or another type of hope. One of them would be that there is a different realm of heaven and exists already, and because of this realm that we can enter into through Christ, we can now have hope for a different life now, here and now. The other option is that there is this hope that is to come when Christ returns and heaven and earth are merged again, and we are back to an Eden-esque or a Garden of Eden-style recreation of the world. Most likely, it's a blend of both. Not one at the expense of the other, because right now as Christians, we are able to see heaven break into this broken world at glimpses. But one day, we also know, in its entirety, God's kingdom will be flourishing everywhere. And He will wipe away every tear. He will completely rule and reign the entire world. And that certainly is a Christian hope. Jesus has stored up peace for us with God, and we can enjoy that peace right now, and one day we will fully enjoy it with all those who are in Christ. And this hope is always worth thanking God for. Our hope is certain. Jesus is Lord, our hope is certain. And number three, grace has no borders. Jesus is Lord, hope is certain, grace has no borders. We humans effectively draw lines of division everywhere in our world. If you look at a map, you'll see country after country divided. And within each and every country, there are divisions of power within it. But God's grace has no borders to stop its 
God's grace is not stopped by any borders that we create. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the world, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He used the word, or the phrase, in the whole world, and so the gospel of Jesus, as he was seeing it, was advancing all over the world. It broke out of its limiting effect in the, the, the world of Judaism, and it, it went out with the grace of God to the Gentiles. Jesus said himself at the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of all nations, and that means every ethnic group, all peoples. It doesn't matter where you come from. Go out and make disciples of all peoples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Two weeks from today, we will have a baptism service here, and, and we will celebrate as uh, one person so far, and maybe others will follow, identifies themselves as no longer belonging to themselves, but they now belong to the Lord. Nothing prevents you or anyone else in the world from entering into this relationship with God unless you are rejecting the Lord. God's grace has no borders. This is great news. It's worth thanking God for always, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. Did you hear that part? No matter what you've done. That's a border we like to put up. Because when we fail... If you're like me, it's hard to get over those things. I really failed. I am not worthy. But the truth of God's grace is when we repent and when we trust in Christ, we become worthy. Not because I made up for it, but because Jesus paid for it. And I confessed it. And now I can stand before you as a clean reborn, recreated person because I am under and in God's grace. And today, I thank God for His grace. He said, as you understood the grace of God in truth, we can be thankful to God at all times because of this grace if our forgiveness of sins depended on our ability to live a sinless life, then we would all be condemned. But Jesus took the penalty of our sins and He died for the world. And all who call out to God, as Jesus said in one of His parables, be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. And we will submit our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior and King. He will be quick to rescue us and bring us into his kingdom and to give us new life in Christ. This is a truth that should never get old to us. I'm going to challenge myself to wake up every morning and thank God for that this week. It should overwhelm us with gratitude when we see the great cost that Jesus paid in order for us to receive this grace.
Ultimately, we know that we can always be thankful as a Christian because we see how the Lord Jesus gave thanks Himself. In Luke chapter 22, just before He was arrested and sentenced to die in a gruesome death by crucifixion, He said these words to those who were closest to Him. In verse 14 it says, And when the hour came, He reclined at table, and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus was with his disciples and gave thanks to God the Father, for the bread and the cup. Please don't miss this. At this point, when He gave thanks, Jesus knew what the bread and the cup stood for. It was His own broken body. It was His own blood. Jesus was there facing the worst physical death a human body could ever experience. And he was facing the worst possible sentence anyone could ever face, the wrath of God. In this cosmic moment, all of the wrath of God was stored up. And at the cross... All of that condemnation for sin poured out onto Jesus. All of the hatred that God had for sin, the destructive nature that leads to death, was thrown down on His holy and righteous Son. And Jesus, for the glory set before Him, endured the cross, the physical torment and the spiritual death. Jesus literally had hell to pay, yet He was thankful to God the Father in that dark, lonely, and fearful moment. Living a life always thanking God is not about having a change of perspective. It's not about measuring ourselves against the lives of others and saying, you know what, well, at least I am not suffering as much as them. Don't waste your time. It really doesn't help you. 
We don't need to look at our circumstances through the lens of how we compare ourselves to the world. We need to look at our life through the lens of our position in Christ. We don't need a, chance, uh, a change of perspective. We need a change of position. Realizing our position in Christ and His position as Lord. A Christian can always be thankful because Jesus is Lord, because our hope is certain, and because God's grace has absolutely no borders. Focus on these things, and you will endure anything that life brings with the power of God and a grateful heart to God. Our reason today for always being thankful is simply Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, when I say the word Lord today, I am more aware of what I am saying. And I proclaim that you truly are the Lord of this world. Remind me of this, this truth every day. Lord, you have secured our hope for now and eternity. We, as Christians, should never be hopeless. Lord, remind us of this every day. Lord, your grace is greater than we know. Give us a greater understanding of it in truth. Lord, remind us of this at all times. May our hearts be guilty of always thanking you, of always praising you. Thank you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's for his glory and in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight we have an opportunity to not only hear and receive the words of God, but to respond to them as well. So we want to invite you to respond in a couple of different ways. The first seems really natural after what we've just heard. We want to invite you to come and give thanks. There's some pillows up here at the front if you would like to fall on your knees in thanksgiving to God. Throughout Scripture, it is recorded multiple times that people go to their, their knees in the presence of the Almighty God because of the weight of His glory. Because when we see God for who he truly is, this loving and merciful almighty God who has the wrath of sin, yet looks at Jesus, sometimes it takes us to our knees or even to our face. So we invite you to come and give thanks here at the front. We also invite you to give thanks by celebrating communion tonight. That scripture Daniel just read concludes with Jesus passing around the wine and saying, actually he passed around the bread first. He passed around the bread and he said, take this bread and eat it for this is my body which is broken for you. And tonight you can come to the front and receive communion and those words will be spoken to you as you take the piece of bread and then step over to the cup. And Jesus next passed around the cup and said, drink this. This is the blood of a new covenant. You see, 
these people he was celebrating with understood that the old covenant required an animal sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Multiple animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was saying, listen, every time you meet together and do this, you remember and be thankful to me because I am the final sacrifice. My blood is the final blood to be shed in the war against sin. And then on the cross, he says, it is finished. So tonight, this new covenant is open. We invite you to stand and joining with the family of God, place your faith in Jesus Christ by coming and professing him as your Lord. Meaning those two things that Daniel talked about, that he is our king and our ruler and that we have submitted ourselves to his leadership. So tonight, as we begin to sing in a moment, I invite you to respond how God is calling you. I'll also be standing over here to the side. If you would like someone to pray with you, if you need to say, I am not thankful, and to hear the words that Jesus says to you, come to me and I will give you rest, I would love to pray with you on the side. Let's pray and then... After the musicians come and receive communion, I invite you to respond as God is calling you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. God, we know that it is not by anything we have done. It is not by our good works. It is not by our good thoughts. It is not by our church attendance. It is not by our prayers that we can come to the table. But it is solely through your grace. Tonight, we come placing our faith in Jesus as Lord, certain of the hope that you have given and thankful that this grace does not belong to any one person, any one nationality, It belongs to all who are found in Jesus without borders. We love you. We lift you high tonight. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.